Man, isn't that fun? <clears throat> you didn't know um, if you came into World Mandate a little sick or hurting last night, you didn't know that uh, you got signed up for healing, you know? And um, just a little added benefit of Jesus. And um, well, uh, this morning, <clears throat> we're going to continue our series uh, called Own It. And, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the first few weeks, we uh, week one and two, we uh, kind of unpacked for you guys the, the vision for us as a church and what God's been speaking, really for where we are going and what we're doing the next two years. And usually in the past, we don't really have something that kind of goes beyond a year, but we really felt clearly that God is inviting us in as a church into a journey with him together on a two-year journey that's really going to take us from where we are to the place he wants us to be. And just before I jump in the message, if you're kind of wondering, what is this whole series about? What are we doing? We've got these guidebooks available out in the foyer. Just grab one if you don't already have one. Actually, as a church, we are going through, there's 20 devotionals in here, so five a week for four weeks. And so we've been tracking through that. We're on week three this week, and each of the five days of devotionals kind of correlate back to what we're talking about, what we're preaching about. But all they are simply just passages in the Bible. And we're just wanting to, as a church community together, go through these scriptures and to really kind of say, man, what does this say about God? What does this say about me? What am I to obey? It's just simply studying the Bible, right? You actually don't need a big book on how to study the Bible. You just need the Bible and the Spirit of God to help you as you just journal and take some notes. That, that's really what you need. There are extra resources for sure, but it starts with just reading the Bible and saying, God, help me understand this, and then how do I obey this? Amen? So we're doing that. Also, just gives you a little bit of history of our church and kind of where we're going, and so I would encourage you to get one of these if you don't have one. If your parents are interested in saying, hey, I want to be part of this deal with Antioch, then grab one for them, give it to mom and dad. Uh, we'd love for as many people as want to be part of the journey with us. <clears throat> Today, though, we're going to continue this series, and we're going to be talking about uh, own the price of progress. In week one, we talked about own your pursuit of Jesus, which um, which, which looks like someone committing to being, uh, uh, committing to personal discipleship meaning we want to be followers and eventually turn into disciples of Jesus that are reading the words of God, applying them to our lives, and then essentially just allowing that to then be the factor by which we make every decision and do everything in life. So our desire is to be a people of the word and that we would all each own our own pursuit of Jesus, our own faith, that it wouldn't be dependent upon your best friend or uh, dependent upon your parents' faith, or even a leader in the church, but it would be yours. That we would all be people to say, hey, I actually own that. I actually know what the Bible says. I'm dependent upon him, and I have a deep confidence and conviction in his word. And then lastly, we talked about own your place in his mission. And, <clears throat> you know, um, uh, we, we're committed to that as a people. I don't know if you notice this, but every time you walk in through those doors on a Sunday morning, on the left-hand side, there's a deal on the wall, and it says, um, making disciples of Jesus who transformed towns and nations. Um, we didn't completely invent that ourselves. It is from the Bible in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teach, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey a few things I taught you. That's not what he said. See, I got you, see? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's a lot, by the way. Guess what, I'm with you, which means it's possible. It's possible, right? So we have that there. That's our mission statement as a church that's not changing. And really, this own initiative really fits quite well in with the mission of who we are 
as a people. So we talked about finding your place in the church in his mission in the body of Christ because you are part of the body. And if you disconnect from the body too long, you end up usually disconnecting from him, right? And so just as a reminder, Jesus, he came to earth 2,000 years ago and then he left and he ascended to heaven. But did you know he's coming back one day? We don't know the day he's coming back, but he's coming back. And did you know who he's coming back for? He's coming back for one organization, the church. Did you know that? He's not coming back for AM. He's not coming back for the NFL. He's not coming back for the United States government. He's not coming back for Starbucks or your favorite place you like to eat. He's coming back for the church. What does that mean? He's coming back for the people of God. He's coming back for his bride. So, man, we are committed to doing everything we can in our lifetime so that we are making ready the way for Jesus to return by evangelizing, discipling, and reaching people, all towns and nations of the earth. Amen? That's what we're doing. So we're asking you to, to not only own your faith, but to also own your place in his mission, serving, being a part of this body and outside of these walls, right? To be the salt and light, and be the hands and feet of Jesus beyond these walls so we continue to reach people and share with them the good news of Jesus. But today we're talking about own the price of progress. Now, I wanna take you back a little bit. When I was growing up, <clears throat> my mother was actually here this morning in the first service. She's gone now, but I was sharing the story that growing up in our kitchen, we actually had a drawer and it had jars in it. It was the jar system, okay? And so in the jar system for my sister, my brother, and I, there's three jars. There was the savings jar, there was the tithing jar, and there was the spending jar. For some reason, the spending jar was always had a very little in it. Um, I wanted there to be more in that, but we were instructed to actually save and tithe more than we actually spent, okay, which is actually a really good idea. And so we had this little jar system, whether we did chores or, or we made money, side money, whatever, and we'd put it in the jar system. And so I grew up actually not just with the practical of the jar system and kind of how to steward money, but with the value system. It was just understood. This is just what you do. When you get 20 bucks for your birthday, this is how you, this is how you disperse it. This is what you do with it. So we started out with this jar system. And I just want to say, growing up for me, we had some basic understanding of a value system, of a biblical understanding of a value system that God says about money. And I know that for a lot of you, you didn't have that. You maybe were not raised with an understanding of money and possessions and stewardship. Maybe not were, you know, what, what, uh, uh, what you were raised with. But here's what I want to say. If you are 18 years old, guess what? You're now an adult. Did you know that? Like, you're an adult which now means you now get to teach yourself. So if you didn't learn to change a tire at 14, that's okay, you can learn right now. There's something called YouTube, and there's people. You know, I mean, so if you don't know about money, guess what? The Bible is actually the best place to learn about it. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of scriptures in the Bible that literally talk about money and possessions. And do you know why? Do you know why it is the number one topic in the Bible? Do you know that? More than love, more than mercy, more than the poor, more than missions, more than anything. Do you know why it's the number one topic? Because God knew it's the number one thing across all societies, all cultures, all humanities, all races for all time that stands between him and them. The idolatry of money. Money, guys. Money, money, money. Money is what gets us into wars. Money's what destroys marriages. Money's what destroys nations. Money destroys people. 
just go and connect the dots back to any egregious thing happening in our day and age and just ask yourself, somebody's making money off of that. <laughs> if they weren't making money, they wouldn't be doing it. You know why we've got an opioid crisis in our country? Because it makes a lot of money. <laughs> if it didn't make any money, it wouldn't be an issue. Money. Money is that root that God is trying to say, hey, you need it. But it's actually, it's not that money is evil. It's that our use, our perception of it is what is off. So that's why Jesus speaks about it so much in his word. So we're going to talk about it today. But, you know, I, as a journey, I, I grew up, I got married. In 2007, Ashley and I found ourselves in Waco, Texas, in the Antioch Discipleship School. And um, there we were, and we had to read this book in the school. It's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. Okay, so if you ever want to have a very thick book, twice as thick as this, that talks about money, possessions, eternity, it's it. Okay, and literally the entire book is about money, possessions, and eternity. Okay, and so we've actually got a, a bridge version, if you're like me and a slow reader. Um, he wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. We have that in our bookstore in our next room. You can pick one up. It's such a helpful little condensed version of it, but it just kind of conveys God's heart in terms of those different things. And so there we were reading it, and I'm telling you, I had a pretty good foundation, but God took it to a whole new level. And did you know that when you start following Jesus, it's like you may read a verse once, and you're like, oh, I need to love one another. Right, but then you read the next verse, it's like, oh, and love your enemies. You're thinking, oh, wow. This Jesus thing's taking me deeper. You know, like the more you read, the closer you get, actually the deeper he's taking you because the more he's revealing himself to you over and over and over, the depths of his love, the depths of his nature. That's why you should have a commitment to having this be part of your daily life till the end of your days because it only gets better and better. So there we were, learning more and more about finances. God was reshaping, changing things in us in our adult years. And I want to uh, bring us to a passage here in Isaiah chapter 54, 2 and 3. We just had World Mandate, as Chris shared, which is our yearly missions conference we do, we, we, we do with other Antioch churches all over the country. And this passage has been with Antioch for over 30 years, and it's this. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, Spare not, lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Now, this passage means a lot for several reasons. This really is the basis by which we are so committed to being a church planting church. The reason we are so committed to reaching people, training people and sending people out. We're committed to that, but even in the context of this own initiative that we are going on as a church, guess what? This fits right in, and do you know why? Because it's not about enlarging a tent or making more space or room for people just so you just have more space. It's so that what? It says this, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities, which means you actually enlarge things in the present so it blesses the next generation, right? Like, you actually make a way. So like, any good parent you were trying to set up a good home and a good infrastructure and some solid habits and some fun traditions around the holidays. So you're making a way for your children to have an incredible experience. If not, you're not a good parent, <laughs> right? But a good parent saying, I'm trying to make a way so that their experience is better than my experience. And so that's why we wanna, it's like, that's why we wanna give them kind of more space. It's why we, we, you know, like if you lived in a very tiny house growing up, you want a bigger house for your kids. You're like, man, I'm brothers and sisters. We all live in the same room, and I don't want that, you know? But, like, we want something better for the next generation, and that is biblical, that we want our arrows to go farther, to go 
further. And so for us as a people, I just want you to know the heart of this church is everything we're doing, we're not doing it for my benefit or just for you. We're doing it for you, but also for the one coming after you. That's called a missional lifestyle. So here we are, Isaiah 54, two and three. Lord, how, do we, how does this word fit in with what we're doing? There is a deepening and a widening. And again, I go back to that mission statement. This is right in line with making disciples of Jesus who transform towns and nations. We are trying to do it, and the transformation doesn't come from money or power or politics. It comes to the heart. The transformation of the kingdom of God and people's lives comes when their heart, it's an inside-out transformation, not an outside-in. That is who we are as a people. That's why we go to places and we're doing stuff like Engage the Nations this summer for three months. You can go and serve somewhere in Sheffield or Dubai or, or somewhere else and you can go and serve and get a chance to minister to people and love on them who've never heard about Jesus before so that what? So that not so you can control them, so you can release them into the goodness and the relationship of God and they can flourish and tell their friends and family and then things start to transform in their society. But where Jesus is not present, the power of God is not able to move. But when he shows up on the scene, everything's up for grabs. Everything's up for grabs. That's who we're committed to as a people. But I want to take us a little bit back into the story of Israel. If you remember, we, we've talked about Noah, and then we kind of journeyed through. and We looked at Abram, who became Abraham, father of multitude, and then looked at last week the life of Moses and how he led the people of Israel out and I want us to turn to Exodus chapter three for a moment because this is the part in the story where they had just left Egypt. Remember, three million people had just left. They had just gotten out of Pharaoh's snare, you know? And so they actually crossed the Red Sea. God's part of the seas. It's a miraculous event. The Egyptian army goes in after them. They end up all getting crushed underneath the waves. The people are on the other side, so they're free, right? They actually sing this great song. It's a song. They sing the song of freedom. But then what happens? They're in the wilderness, they're not in the promised land yet. They're on their way there, but, they're, but they are now free in the wilderness. Here we go in chapter three, verse 16 and 17. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So remember, the people crossing the Red Sea, and they're reminding themselves of this promise God made to them when they were in captivity, when they were enslaved. So God's saying, guess what? I'm gonna take you to this land of milk and honey. So you can imagine the excitement. Not all of we no longer slaves in Egypt. We're on our way to the milk and honey. I mean, who likes bread and honey? I mean, that's delicious. Warm bread, okay, a little glass of milk. I mean, whoa, that's tasty. God's trying to say, you're going to a very tasty place, right? But what happened? What happened? Well, let me just pause here and interject our story, okay? Um, what, what happened to the people of Israel is that the promise was given to these people, but they were not prepared to possess it yet, Right? Did you know God does that sometimes? He may give you a promise, but you're not ready for it. You're not ready to possess it. You're not ready to inherit it. You're not ready to step into that calling or that next thing yet. The promise is there. Remember, God has a history doing this. David, be a great example. Hey, you're gonna be king one day. 
I'm only like 13. And my only resume is sheep herding. <laughs> but the promise is there, but he wasn't ready to be king yet. But God gave him the promise. So here the people of Israel are, hey, I'm giving you a promise. You're going to that land of milk and honey. But in our story, you know, 11 years ago, God gave us a promise, which was if you'll be faithful to go plant a church in Bryan College Station, then I will reach people of nations, I will reach students, I will reach families, and you will become a training and sending hub in America to go out into the rest of America and to the world. Because I'm already drawing the people to this town, in large part of the university, I'm already drawing the nations to you. There's over 100 nations represented here. There's people from every single town and tiny little high school, yes, your high school, that is at Texas A&M. Did you understand that? Every single town in our state is represented in this county. Okay, like every town, even the high school of four seniors, one of them came here, I guarantee you. And then one went to that other school, you know? But like, think about this for a second. So when we say making disciples of Jesus who transformed towns and nations, guess what? That's also for you to go back to West Texas or East Texas or the Big D and to bring Jesus and reproducible discipleship and house church and the glory of God into your suburb town or your new young professional city you're in and to come bring the kingdom to that place. There are people who have been to this church who now live in Laporte, Texas and in West Texas and different places and guess what? They came back in their church and said, hey, how can we serve? But can I tell you something? I learned something about Jesus and discipleship and the body of Christ. How can I contribute? And eventually that person that got to the ear of the senior pastor, senior pastor said, what are these things called life groups? I've never done that before. They started doing it. And now they're multiplying and they're reaching students and they're reaching families and there's life there. And that guy's on staff. He's just working a job and just serving. That's what we're doing. That's us. That's that Isaiah 54 piece that God's doing. But that was the promise, and you know, 11 years later, here we are, and in the midst of that journey, God gave us this promise, and we started the Hilton Hotel, it was fun, we had Starbucks in the hotel, and that was cool, and a bunch of random visitors every Sunday who came in for a football game and decided to stay on over Sunday morning church, you know? So many Sundays, these all ags, like, there's a church here? Like, come on in, man, you know? And that was so fun that we moved in this building. 2013, we've been here, it's been amazing. But God is shifting us and he's saying, hey, there's, there's another piece. There's a next step. And the reason we call this owner, guys, because God's also spoken, is time to, time to stop being renters and become owners. How, how many of you rent your house? Okay. Most of our city rents. We're trying to find those who are willing to become owners in the spirit. But it's also natural. It's both hands. And so God's saying, hey, it's time to put the stake in the ground. And they say, we are here, baby, and we're not moving. Right? But you know, you know when you rent, every year they kind of call you, hey, you gonna renew your lease? I don't know. Neighbors, crazy dog, little smell here. Maybe I'll look for a better lease. Right? Maybe I'll find a little cheaper lease. Maybe a little different part of town lease. Do you think we lease as Christians at all? I don't know, that church is pretty good, but I mean, you know, they said that one thing. You know, all right, hey, man, this guy, he's trying to hold me accountable to the Bible. What is this, what kind of church is that? <laughs> right? 
somebody prayed for me and I didn't like the way they prayed. Oh yeah, and they're a freshman just like you and don't know what they're doing. Either, you know. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing either as a freshman, you know. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like, oh, no, no, no. You see, an owner signed a contract. You're in. It's your land. God in 2016 gave us land. Did you know that? Someone in this church, God moved on their heart, unbeknownst to me, and generously came to me and said, hey, God spoke to me and said, I've got five acres of land, 5.3, and it needs to be yours. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna donate it to you. It's worth a lot of money, but God said, that's no longer mine. It is yours. So here you go. 2016, God gave us a promise of a future home, our land, four years ago. We then were able to buy an additional three acres of land because of your generous giving and others who've gone before you generously gave so we could purchase additional land debt-free. So now we have eight acres of land sitting in College Station, Texas that'll allow us to continue to grow and minister and it's sitting there. It's been sitting there for four years. Now let me go back to the people of Israel. They got through the Red Sea. The promise of God, they're holding on to it, but they're in the wilderness and they were stuck. Why? Stuck. 1 Corinthians 10 says this. They were stuck because of their grumbling, their idolatry, sexual morality, and the testing of the Lord. Let me say it again. The promise of God was with Moses and them, but they ended up getting stuck on the journey because of their grumbling, their idolatry, sexual morality, and testing of the Lord. So I looked at that and said, Lord, what's going on with us? Remember I said, God may give you a promise, but you may not be prepared to possess it. Guys, in 2016, we were not prepared to possess that land. 2019, this last year, um, I would call it the year of repentance. <laughs> it's not usually something you boast about as a pastor. Yeah, my church repented way more than yours. Um, but, you know, it started at Revive in March, Revive Spring Break Mission Trip. If you're a college student and you don't got anything going on in spring break, even if you do, you should go with us this year. We're going to Arkansas. Sign-ups in tomorrow. So you get registered by tomorrow, all right? You want to go for a week-long mission trip with a couple hundred wild-eyed college students, jump on board, do it. But a year ago, we are going to New Orleans, and on Arkansas, going to New Orleans. And my wife came up here, Ashley, on a Saturday morning. We did a kind of a worship training time with the students, and she preached on holiness. And at the end, she put the mic down and he said, hey, if anyone needs to come up and confess sin, come on up. The mic's here. It's open mic. Here you go. K kind of nerve-wracking, right? Like, no one's going to do that. That's such a dumb idea, right? <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, she lays it down there and uh, one student comes up. Hey, I need to confess some sin. And, you know, th this wasn't like I stole that toy car fifth grade. Th th this is like jaw-dropping. Like, I can't believe I'm hearing this stuff. He comes up. I get around and pray for him. Hey, we forgive you. We're with you. Next person. Young lady, young man. Within 10 minutes, a line forms down this aisle, hooking around here, no short of 150 college students by the end of five hours. Five hours long. One by one, confessing sin, weeping, people praying over them, forgiving them. Next. Guys, we have never had a move of God like that in the 10 years of our church. And it wasn't coerced. It was a spirit of God hitting people and saying, it is time to clear the decks. No more hiding. 
People came clean and people got free. And some of you are in this room who confessed on this stage of sin and God started setting you free. Praise God for that. But you know, I'm telling you, in 2019, it started there. Families repenting, people all across the church, staff, families, I mean, everybody. There's people repenting sin everywhere. It was like everywhere you look, it's like, here comes another one, you know? And I'm telling you, the Lord was preparing us. You know why? Because he's saying, you're gonna possess the land. I don't know about you, though. I do not wanna be stuck. Do not wanna be stuck in the wilderness. I like honey and milk. (laughs) That's where I wanna go. I hope you wanna go there, too. We will be stuck if we are caught up in these things that are not of God. Let's not be like them. Let's learn our lesson. So God was doing that in 2019, a work, and then we knew in 2020, we're turning the corner, here we go, Lord. It's not that we're not, listen, if you repented a year ago, it's not like you get to wait till next year. It's, it should be daily. You should cultivate a lifestyle of saying, Lord, who do I need to forgive? Lord, do I need to confess anything to my wife, my friend? And it should be, it shouldn't be, oh, I gotta wait a week before I can really share at that discipleship meeting or come up front on Sunday to get prayer. That should be a daily thing you do with the Lord and then you bring people into it. But here we go. We don't want to be a stuck people, all right? So here we are in our story. We're moving forward in 2020. And listen, this whole deal is going to require us to be a people that are really committed to the price progress, right? So when we say own your pursuit of Jesus, talked about that, own your place's mission. Now it's own the price of progress by committing to radical generosity, a radical generosity, you go through the Bible, the Old Testament, what you see is the people of Israel radically giving, donating of their talents, their time, gold, their jewelry, so they could construct the temple, so they could rebuild the wall, so they could establish a city. Over and over, it was when God was moving and his presence was with them, people were joyfully just saying, we're in. We're in, Lord, with whatever you wanna do. And so here we are. I'm gonna jump into three key things here before we end about generosity, all right? Because I, I and I just wanna say this on the front end. Everyone take this. Take, take your right hand, put it over your heart, okay? This is a heart issue. Money is a heart issue. Finances is a heart issue. It's not a hand issue. It's not a pocketbook issue. It's not a Venmo or Apple Pay issue. That's not the issue. It is here. All right, you can take your hearts down. Take your hands down. It's, it's not, it, this is it. If we get this, the rest gets figured out. I'm telling you. You don't go after practicals in life. You go after the beliefs. And if your beliefs are off, are not centered on the word of God, you're gonna be off no matter what you do, and specifically in this realm. Before I jump in, I just wanna let us know, though, that as a church, we are inviting you to two things. One, this is something we're calling Advanced Commitment Night on Wednesday night, this Wednesday, February 12th. That's right, a couple days before Valentine's Day. You can celebrate with all the people who really love you. All right, just kidding. Marriage is, okay. Hey, listen, I went on those Valentine dates in high school and college. You know, my one true love, we're good. But um, so, Advanced Commitment Night's happening tonight out of the land. So you're like, ooh, I'm gonna go to this land that God has promised us and he's given us, this milk and honey place. Guess what? You can come there with us. We're gonna have a huge tent. It's gonna be awesome, revival tent, okay? It's a huge tent. We're worshiping, but we're coming for the Lord, and we're saying, Lord, here's our offering, God. My heart is in the right place, Lord. I am ready to give. I'm ready to commit to be part of this. I'm ready to own it with you, Jesus. This is for the glory of God. 
So if you're saying, hey, I'm there, I'm with you, come with us Wednesday night, Vance Commitment Night. If, if you're not ready to do that, that's great. If you're like, you know, I need more time to pray. I need to decide what am I gonna give? How am I gonna contribute to this? Then show up on Sunday, February 23rd, is our Commitment Sunday, okay? That's for everybody. And I'll just say a little plug. If you have uncles or parents or cousins that are saying, you know what, I've been blessed by what's been happening in Antioch, or what's happening in your life, and you've helped that family or whatever, man, I feel like an extension of the Antioch family, invite them February 23rd and say, would you partner with us, join with us in this initiative, because we need people with us in the journey. So just a couple of big dates coming up. All right, so here we go. Generosity is a heart issue. That's number one. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to leave that up there. Leave that part up there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see that? You see the things in which we invest our time, our money, our energy, like those are the things that matter to us most and they're also the same things that ensnare us the most, right? The money, the possessions piece. You know, um, growing up, I, uh, I was quite the athlete. I would say in third grade, it's doing pretty good. Um, I remember my mom forced us to be on swim team, and you know, uh, I wasn't the greatest swimmer. I got a lot of those green ribbons. You know the green ones? It's like, thanks for swimming. Uh, <laughs> you got some of those too, I know. <laughs> or yellow, purple, all these different colors. Everything but like, what you want, you want red and blue, but I got all the other colors, you know. Uh, I had a few red and blue, all right, but I was on swim team or soccer and baseball. You know, over time, you're a kid, and you collect all these medals and trophies. You know, sometimes they're for participating, you know. Sometimes it's like, you won. It's like, we won that tournament, man, you know? And so I had a lot of these trophies. As a kid, you know, I would, uh, we always wanted to have like more bookshelves so we could display more of our stuff, my brother and I, you know, more of our trophies. So when our friends walked in, like, whoa, you know, uh, you know, it's just. So here I am, fourth, fifth grade, you know, in the glory years of my athletic career, and um, I had all these trophies. Well, you know, progress in life and get off to college and, and, um, uh, you know, my, my, my mom calls me and says, hey, you know, they were building a new house, moving, and she said, hey, a lot of your stuff's here. Come back and get your stuff. Oh, all right. So I go back, and um, my dad had pulled out this big box, and I look at it, and it's all my ribbons and trophies. Ribbons just matted up, just a ton of stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool, you know? And I'm like looking back through, remembering, yeah, I remember. You know, like, I was really good then, you know, and all those things. And so I remember taking these, this box, like, and bring it home anyway. He's kept with us for a little while. And so Ashley and I are married now, and I have it. And one day I'm looking through, I'm like, hey, babe, look at all my stuff, you know. And, you know, I want her to be a little impressed. You know, it's like, hey, it's, I know the ring's on, but you can still be impressed, baby. This, you know, like, and she's looking, of course, she's not impressed, you know, just like, ah. Oh. Well, you know, it's kind of funny, but it's sitting there, and one day I was praying, and the Lord highlighted that box. And he said, um, he said Tyler, uh, you really treasure those things. I know it's kind of funny, but there's something still there that's a little connected to kind of your, your own glory, and uh, I want you to give that up. So literally, I remember taking that box, throwing the dumpster. 
And I was like, wow, there's like 15 years of memories and trophies and it wasn't all bad, but there was something in that that my heart was still tethered to that personal glory. And I was like, Lord, I'm gonna let it go. And I'm telling you guys, why did I do that? Because I want him to be my treasure. I don't, I don't want anything to be in the way, even if it's as silly as trophies from when you were a kid. And that's what God wants us. He wants our hearts to be pure. Whatever it is for you, is there anything that you're treasuring more than him is the point. Let's, lastly, on this, where your treasure is, um, we were mentoring a, a couple several years ago who was about to get married and doing premarital counseling with them and meeting one night, and it was kind of the night you talk about money and finances, you know, how you can do this in your marriage, and we're sitting there talking, and she began to share, just really out of a place of shame, all the student debt she had incurred. Uh, and and it, it was six figures, okay? And um, she was like sitting there and just sharing, and she was so grieved over the fact she's about to bring her fiance, about to be married, into like her debt. Like all this debt, like he's gonna have to inherit this and help me do that, you know? And she's feeling terrible about it. We're praying, and we're talking to her, and he kind of interrupts. He says, hey, I just need you to know something. He said, I'm not, I, I am all in to take that debt on with you. You are precious to me. You are my bride, and I'm ready to tackle it. There's no shame. There's nothing you need to apologize for. It is what it is. I am, I am taking you on because you're my bride, and I'm yoked with you, and so here we go. And man, tears just start coming down. She's like, I mean, never in her wildest dreams did she think that her husband would be like, I'm ready to take it on. Isn't that the gospel? I've got a six-figure debt that I can't repay, and the bridegroom is saying, come on, I'm taking it on. And can I tell you right now, I know this couple, they are so close to having that completely eradicated. He has diligently worked on that debt for years, and they are close to it being gone. He has lived lean. Why? Because she is precious to him. Isn't that encouraging? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The number two thing, God owns it all. Psalm 24, one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's a lot. Think about it. The earth is the Lord's, all right? That's the whole earth. Everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. That means all the money, possessions, and the people are the Lord's. Now, if you think about that God owns it all, think about like a money manager, right, for like a, Let's say you had $10,000, you're gonna invest it with like a financial guy, and he, his job is to grow that money, right? It's your money, not his, but you are entrusting it to him to steward it, to invest it, to really manage it, and to take care of it, so that upon his return, or when it's time to report, he's like, hey, good job, thanks for taking care of my money, right? That is us, we're simply in that money manager realm. It is God, and we are entrusted with whatever portion or amount of it. This goes with talents, this goes with time, this goes with giftings. It is God who gifted you, and it's your job to then figure out how do I actually live a life that's entrusting, that, 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 that I am proving trustworthy and a good steward of those things. But the cool thing is, you guys know the story of Cinderella, right? Come on, Cinderella fans, let's be honest. I'm about, I'm about to shock you with something, you're gonna like Cinderella now, okay? Cinderella, young lady, more or less becomes a slave of her evil stepmother, you know, that lady and her stepsisters, doing all the work but being kind all on the way. And then eventually one day she puts the slipper on. Next thing you know, the prince becomes the king 
he marries her and she goes from slave to queen, right? She goes from rags to riches. She literally goes from someone who doesn't have any rights, any possessions, any inheritance, any anything to now being a co-heir of the entire kingdom. You didn't know Cinderella's the gospel. They didn't know that either, right? <laughs> Romans 8, 16 through 17, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see, when you receive Jesus, he's calling you a co-heir. He's like, guess what? You get to share in all the stuff that God the Father has created and made, which means your resources are now unlimited. Limited, right? Like, which means when you are now a co-heir, all of a sudden you gotta start thinking, not like a slave, guys. I'm royalty. I'm part of the house of God. You should walk different. You should walk tall. Oh, I'm a Christian. Man, Jesus. He's... No, Jesus is really good to me. I love him. He's everything. Really? Because everything you're showing me is that you think Jesus is a loser. No. How you walk and how you talk matters. And when the king is present, you better not be like, ooh. It's like, stand up, boy. The king is here. Right? You walk tall. I'm royalty. I'm not some petty slave. I'm royalty. I'm part of him, and he said, everything that's mine is yours. Ask of it, and I will give you the nations of the earth. You need something, just keep knocking, and I'll open it up. Come on. That's the Father's heart. He's not limited. We're limiting him. Do you see? We're limiting him. But when your heart is given to him, and you understand he knows the, he knows the cattle on a thousand hills, it's limitless. Last thing I'll just say with this, if God owns it all, then the question is, are you Involving him on your finances or informing him? There's a big difference. Informing him is, hey, God, I just want to let you know this is what I decided to do. Right? No, no, no. We want to involve him in our finances. All right, the last point is this. Just skipped it. There we go. Generosity brings joy. Generosity brings joy. This may be the best one, all right? Generosity brings Joy, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Second Corinthians 9, 7. We should make cheerful givers. I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, but then people would probably be asking you for money everywhere, so I don't know, but <laughs> cheerful giver, right? I mean, man, our life becomes joyful in the midst of generosity, in the midst of giving. When we align our hearts and our, and our possessions and everything else, we align it with him, it's exciting. Have you ever been in a life group when someone expressed a need and you guys are like, hey, afterwards you're like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna get them. I mean, have you, you know, both are like, uh, hey, dude, you can go post life group meeting. Hey, how are we gonna help the guy? I mean, you know how much fun is in that? It's like 10 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, sweet. And then they're like, oh my gosh, you did this, it's, it's awesome. I love those life groups, like the little sneaky secret giving, you know? It's like, okay, who's gonna go put it in their mailbox, you know? Who's gonna create the like anonymous Venmo account and just send it to, you know, just who's, like, man, like, that is what brings so much joy. It's actually a greater joy to give than receive. Did you know that? That's biblical too. But listen, God loves a cheerful giver. And listen, if you wanna, if you wanna 
experience the land of milk and honey in your own life, there's a price to be paid, which is you thinking about someone else before yourself. See, the price of progress, even for this church, means that others have gone before you and have sacrificed and have given and have served and have made a place for you. The seat you are sitting in was provided by someone else. Did you know that? Like someone else made a way for you. Someone else made a way for me. As the band comes up, I want to close with this. Um, you know, I said earlier, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Luke chapter 5, there's a great story that we read, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now I want you to see something. There's a house that Jesus was in, and it was crowded. People could not get in that house. There's some buddies who knew his friend was paralyzed, so paralyzed they had to bring him in on kind of a makeshift stretcher. And as they're bringing their buddy up, you can imagine them telling him on the way there, hey man, Trust me, it's gonna be okay. This guy, Jesus, we've heard about him. He's gonna heal you. We've, we've heard stories of him healing blind people, deaf people. He can heal you, so come on. Do you know the excitement they had? And they're probably carrying this guy, and they're getting to that house, and they're right there, and you can see their faces like, oh, we can't even get him in. We can't get him to Jesus. It's too crowded. The crowd, we can't even get him in the house. What are we gonna do? And at least one of those guys said, I know. <laughs> Heck with this. Let's get up on the roof. Okay. Climb up the roof. How we, I don't know how they got him up on the roof. No idea. They got that guy up on the roof. Must have had a pulley system, something. And they, let's get him up there. Because it's so important. We get him to Jesus. We're going to do whatever it's going to take. So they get up on the roof. Says they remove the tiles. I, I bet if it was concrete, they just would have just started blasting it through. I don't know. They get up, they remove the tiles. And here's, here's Jesus in the room. Teaching, talking, sharing parables. What is that? And a man is lowered down into the room, in the crowd. And did you catch what Jesus said? And when he saw their faith, man, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith? His buddies. Not the paralyzed man. That's not what saved him. The faith of his friends. The faith of his friends provoked the compassion of the Lord and grabbed the attention of Jesus to look at this man and say, your sins are forgiven. That's you. Your faith is what's gonna get other people in the room to get with Jesus. But it doesn't stop there because you know, he forgets this man's sins and then the, 
The Pharisees are grumbling. Oh, who is this guy? Forgive sins? Oh, blasphemous. And Jesus is like, you guys think it, you think it's harder for me to heal this paralyzed man or to forgive his sins? But just to prove to you I can do both, this is what he says in verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Rise, pick your bed, and go home. He forgave his sins. But how did that happen, church? It happened because there was no room in the house, no room in the inn, but his friends contended prayed, they interceded, they worked hard, they made a way for him to get they knew if he can get close to Jesus, he'll take care of him. If he can get him to Jesus, he'll heal him and save him at the same time. Do you know why we are building a bigger building in College Station? Because there are 50,000 at a minimum college students that are unchurched this Sunday. Do you know how I know that? Because I'm good friends with over 25 to 30 senior pastors in this town, of which represent almost the entire college student population of Bryan College Station. And we've done the numbers, and at best, there's 10,000 students actually attending a church, never mind you having faith in Jesus. But there's at least 50, 60,000 who have no grid, who have no understanding, who've never gotten close to Jesus. There's 5,000 international students at any given time that are coming to our land that have no understanding of the gospel. And you have the chance to meet with them in engineering or you with them at McDonald's or Chipotle. But what if you meet with them and say, hey, I wanna show you my friends. I wanna bring you the environment. And you show up, there's nowhere to park, there's nowhere to sit, there's no room in the inn. And they're like, oh, but we wanted it. Then I'm gonna have people drilling holes in this roof. Do you see the whole reason why God wants us to treasure him first and foremost is so that out of that place, the overflow is a generosity to make a way for another. We're not doing this building for me or for you. We're doing it for the next generation. I do not want to be stuck in the wilderness. The next generation, they got into the promise saying, do you know that? I want to be part of that generation. So I want to stand as we close this morning. This is all a heart issue, like I said. All we're gonna do is, we're actually not gonna have prayer teams up here, not this morning. Because every single person in this room, including myself, we need to have a heart check before the Lord. So God, are you treasure <laughs> or not? And if there's anything in between you and him that you need to confess or deal with or talk to him about, this is a moment right here. You can tomorrow. You can do it in the next five minutes and come clean. Because y'all, I don't want to stay in the wilderness. I want to get that land of milk and honey. And in many ways, God is inviting us there. But he's got to deal with our hearts first. So Jesus, we do ask for healthy hearts. We ask that you would expose everything in us that was off. Idolatry, sexual morality, the love of money, self-idolatry, personal fame, grumbling, complaining, critical attitudes. Lord, let it not be said of us. Let us be a, cling to your promises. 
and that treasure you above all. Thank you, Jesus.